You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Hey there, all you tri-freaks and geeks, and welcome to another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon, the podcast where we go long on endurance. You might be able to hear all these birds chirping around me. I'm not in Costa Rica. I'm in a Texas uh, parking lot about to fire up the Nissan Xterra, take you with me on a short little drive. In fact, a lot of this podcast has driving in it. I've been absolutely slammed lately with just life. And the big conflict between trying to train uh, somewhere between the half Ironman and uh, Ironman level and uh, doing all the things that it takes to be a dad and an age grouper and work the full-time job that's really, really gotten a hold of me lately. So that's why there's been a, a short uh, little delay in episodes. And I apologize for that. But we continue on with the march. Let me fire up the uh, Xterra once I put it in how about I put it in gear there we go and before we get into the meat of the show I have a whole bunch recorded an hour and change maybe an hour and a half of tips and tricks about how to how to train and do uh, triathlon stuff like always I um, I wanted to start off with couple of little things about uh about life that can that can kind of help you out i was just in freebirds which is one of my uh, is my burrito sponsor did you know that you can have a burrito sponsor in life <laughs> well i do it's freebirds world burrito and they're awesome i absolutely love them because uh you can sit there and tell them every single thing you want on your burrito way better than you can at chipotle and it's just a fantastic place. But anyway, I know the manager and I asked how things were going and she said that actually it's uh, great because business is actually slow because they actually got slammed recently. I, w- I live in a university town, College Station, Texas, which is Texas A&M University. It's a 60,000 student university. And uh, this was the last week. So they have like a parents weekend and all kinds of crazy stuff. And then she said that they had, um, their internet went down, which means they were unable to process uh, charges, all kinds of things. And this is actually a break. And she's actually, and I said, oh yeah, when you have a break, you can actually think about what you need to do next. (laughs) And she said, yes, absolutely. I could actually think. Uh, now that I'm not just do, 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 do. And I said, you know, actually, I coach that. And I told her what I'm about to tell y'all right now. And I think I've mentioned it on a previous show, but this is a really, really helpful thing. Especially because I have an illustration to help uh, paint the picture, literally. We need margins in lives, in our lives. Like little buffers kind of here and there. We enjoy it. We actually love it because it gives us space to think. A lot of times when you think of like, if you imagine a Zen room or Zen uh, house, right? There's a lot of blank space and it's calming. 
It's very nice. There's space, there's stuff, but it's empty. And what this does is it gives us the option, the freedom to move things around or the illusion that we could move things around a little bit if we needed to, to be more strategic about what we're doing. And the best example I have of that, even better than a, than a Zen office or house or whatever, is a book. When you open a book, you'll notice that there's margins on the side. When you, when you type up a paper or a report, give it to somebody or you're reading one, there's margins on the side. There's margins on everything that we read and write. And not only margins, you know, the, the quarter inch or half inch between the ends of the sentences and the edge of the paper, but and that, that allows you to get a handle on things, literally, right? You can hold the edge of the paper and still read the whole paper because the edge is the handle. And on top of that, there's space between the sentences, right? Line one, line two. And you'll notice like in Word, Microsoft Word, you can change the spacing between sentences, you know, one, one line, 1.5 lines or less or more, whatever. And you'll notice there's a calming effect of, uh, of doing that, of actually putting a little bit more space kind of here and there. And if you cram things together, it feels like rushed and urgent. And not only that, but there's an extra space between the ends of sentences. If a sentence ends on the same line and then another sentence picks up, that's where it starts off again. There's an extra space between paragraphs, between bigger thoughts, right? Bigger spaces. And you can take that example and realize that in life, if you give yourself margins, you have to do it ahead of time. But just imagine if the book had every square millimeter of the page written on it. Just imagine a page where there's words on the entire thing. You would almost consider it unreadable, right? Even though it's still the exact same words, the same sentences, it would be almost unreadable because it would just be, it would be irritating to have the whole page filled up with words from top to bottom, edge to edge. And in triathlon training and in life, uh, we need to make sure that we have margins. And margins allow you to get a handle on things and reset and kind of think about your approach of how you're doing it. And strategically, you know, come in from the right angle and also get a little bit of breathing room. When you're doing a workout and you take a break for a minute and then reset and then start again, it's the same thing. And making sure that when you finish before you start a workout, you pause and you think for a minute, what's the purpose of my workout? When you finish your workout, sit down, review the numbers with a nice beer or a cup of coffee or something like that. And then go, okay, how, how did it go? You know, when you get to work, pause in your car and sit there and think and then say, what am I going to do today when I get to work? What's the most important things? Make a to-do list. And I like to-do lists that you can actually sort. And then every once in a while, I'll resort it and go, all right, I'm going to put uh, this at the top. Make sure that it's in the right order, you know, and it's okay to move things around. It's just fine. So I just wanted to um, reiterate that lesson to everybody. I talk about that every once in a while, but it is probably one of the biggest differences in your life. That's when uh, people are like, I meditate, you know, 
that's really what you're doing when you you take 10 minutes to meditate or 30 minutes to meditate you're creating this giant margin and actually you can do it a lot easy just as easily uh, at the same time or instead um, just make sure before you start anything that you take a, a small pause and think about if this is what you uh, really need to be doing and also on top of that I wanted to mention something about mindfulness mindfulness is where you pay attention to what you're doing and observe and notice how it's making you feel and then just as important as that as as that is also doing so without judgment so let's say you are washing your bike and you just wash your bike and notice how when you see a scratch right because you can go oh scratch oh that sucks my bike is ruined now I shouldn't have ridden down that one road where it had gravel and then it scratched my bike or I shouldn't have put it on the back of my car and or I shouldn't let somebody borrow it now it's got a scratch and now da, 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 and everything's terrible oh dang it now my life's ruined <laughs> all right no you do stuff and then you like wash your bike and you pay attention to while you're washing it and pay attention to your feelings that come up but stop it there don't let it continue on into judgment like my bike's too dirty oh this part should have been cleaned sooner that anything that's got a should in it you just don't do and when you pay attention to how certain things make you feel then and I'll give you another example here in a sec. I got a really good one. Then you can notice what actually um, the things in life, how you tick and what makes you, you. And then now that you know yourself, then you can um, better optimize and enjoy life uh, in ways that fulfill you. So I just had a haircut. I left Freebirds and then went over to the haircut place. And the lady was real talking, real, really opinionated. And um, there's some school rezoning going on. So she had all this, you know, opinions about rich people shouldn't do this. And, 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 and then she said something about black people, which I was like, okay, um, <laughs> I don't know if we really need to be talking about that. And then, um, but I, I was I just you know decided not to uh, have much judgment about it and to um, because you never know what what's going to happen or whatever and I paid attention to what I liked and what I don't like or how things made me feel really and um, then it allowed me to be in the moment and then say oh you know I really liked um, this. Uh, this one place to get my hair cut. I liked it when my hair cut was like this or like that. So the next time when I get my hair cut, I'll be like this. And maybe next time I'll get a different person. But I didn't get all caught up in the conversation about it being right or wrong. It was happening whether I wanted to or I want whatever she said was I wanted it to be said or not. And um, and that's that Zen chill that I've talked about where you can just flow through life and just be like. Yep, that's what happened, and and uh, we can continue. I don't know if that haircut example is a really good example, but it worked for me. So there's all that. Pay attention to those things, and especially with the mindfulness, the uh, judgment. If you can get rid of the judgment, your life is a whole lot better. And uh, one is the one judgment is when you screw up 
to not be critical of yourself. And that it happened either earlier today or yesterday. I messed up something. And instead of letting it uh, endlessly trail on to, well, you should have done this and you should have done that. Da, da, I just told myself, well, that's what happened. And um, I'm not going to do that again. And, and then moved right on from whatever it was. And like to the point of where I can't even remember what it was anymore. And I noticed that I was like, wow, that is such a better way to treat yourself. And it allows you to end the downward spiral of negative self-criticism and just move on. And then you do the, when you, when you're working on the next thing in life, you don't have that baggage and then you do a better job. It's, it's really, really cool to not, um, be net, not do the negative self-criticism whenever you uh, mess something up. You acknowledge the screw up and then just continue on. And it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So I wanted to give those tips. Uh, before we get into the training log, I got two sponsors that we just need to do. I'm going to do them super quick right now. I'm not even going to put in an ad, you know, with the chop in and the, the copy paste kind of stuff. I'm going to tell you straight up. Martin, M-A-U-R-T-E-N, is a fuel that is so awesome because it's got a um, it's got a gel agent in it that doesn't activate until you actually drink it. And then it plumps up into a gel. It, you drink it like it's water, but then it plumps up into a gel when it hits your stomach acid. And then that allows it to pass through your stomach faster and get into your intestines so your body can absorb it. And it's wonderful for hot weather racing. And it comes from Sweden. And um, I just got a tweet or an Instagram. I can't remember what it was. Uh, just uh, yesterday of somebody saying that they did their first triathlon with it. And it was awesome. Absolutely awesome. And it really does work. And I got to say, it does work. It's perfect. If you train or race in hot conditions, you got to check out Martin. M-A-U-R-T-E-N. They are the only people that are doing this. And it's so simple Zen, and so smart that I can't believe nobody has thought of this before. It is wonderful to uh, do this. It's, um, it's just so easy, man. And then you can get in a huge amount of calories on race day without it bothering your stomach. It's fantastic. So check out Martin. Uh, they sent me. I, I I went off about how great they were because I tested. I bought I bought it myself first because I heard about it. I tried it. They used it in the Nike project trying to beat the uh, two hour marathon time. I heard an interview with somebody on a podcast that's not sponsored by them, and they tried it in a uh, a really hot race, and they said instantly they could tell it worked. And uh, so then Martin reached out and said, hey, uh, we want to help sponsor you uh, if you keep getting the word out. And they uh, sent me a bunch of it and I've been testing it. And that's how I know it works. It really, really, really works. It's clear. I actually add a drop of food coloring to it so I know which bottle has the fuel in it because it looks just like water. And that's a little pro tip for you there, right there. Um, also, Amrita Bars, A-M-R-I-T-A, Amrita Bars is a longtime sponsor of the show discount code uh, Zen2018 or Zentry2018. It doesn't matter. You can use either one. And they are um, kind of like Laura Bar, but they're, they're uh, softer. 
uh, which is even better for cycling. Um, I think a, a little bit more calories than a lower bar. But anyway, they use seeds instead of nuts. And then if you have a nut allergy, they don't bother you. And it's like super organic. And it's actually got cardamom and some other spices in it that soothe your stomach. So it's really good for long distance stuff. And this weekend we went backpacking, the Boy Scout troop and I, we went backpacking around Enchanted Rock, which is a famous um, place in Texas. And uh, we're there for two and a half days. And I just packed a a bunch of Amrita bars um, because I do all this uh, triathlon training. So my metabolism's faster. So I need to eat more calories in a day than the average person and um so i bring some backup food and i brought amrita bars and i was hiking in the heat and uh just cruising along it'd be almost like trail running and i every once in a while every hour or so i'd snack on uh, either half or a full uh, amrita bar and there are all these different flavors it's so good and it wow the energy that came on was just amazing and i'm a decision maker you know because i'm leading the boy scout troop so i'm like we got to go here we got to go there we got to go i can't be grumpy i can't make bad decisions i can't be low on blood sugar i gotta be on top of things i'm watching over 13 boys um a couple of them with some special issues so i've got to you know be on task and it's just it was so easy man it was so great amrita bars a bunch of different flavors um, they really do care about endurance athletes. It was made by cyclists, so you can actually eat them when you're doing your your long, easy workouts on the bike, no problem. And I, I used them this weekend, and it was wonderful, 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 great stuff. And that's that. Uh, discount code uh, Zentri or Zen uh, 2018, and uh, go check them out. And on top of that. I've got, uh, I need to do a shout out to a salt stick and, oh, 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 uh, I'll do that after the, after the training log bit. But the, um, I came across my first diamondback rattlesnake at Enchanted Rock. And if you go to Instagram and I'm Zen Triathlon on Instagram, check out the video of the giant diamondback rattlesnake that I came across and it was blocking the trail. It was huge and it was on the trail. So I started, uh, kicking gravel at it to try to get it off the trail and also to get it to rattle because that's so fascinating. I think people need to understand how close you actually have to get to a rattlesnake to get it to rattle. I I wish that Mother Nature made rattlesnakes rattle uh, way further away than I had to get to get it to rattle. So it's kind of an educational video of like, this is what one sounds like. This is what, this is how close you have to get to get it pissed off enough um, to rattle at you. And you could easily step on one in the grass and it bite you and then rattle is my point. So you need to keep your eyes open when you're out and about trail running and stuff like that this summer. These things are out there. <coughs> and plus, it's just, it's a badass snake. It's really cool. So go check that out at zentrathlon.com. And no, at uh, zentrathlon on uh, Instagram. And yeah. I wanted to get that out there. So after all the um, the training log, I got I got a bunch of tips and tricks coming up right now. Um, we do a shout out to uh, Salt Stick and any other sponsors that uh, we got out there that I need to mention. Okay, and I'll I'll do some announcements of what's going on next with Zen Try at the end of the show. So stay tuned. Okay, here we go with the training log. You are entering the Zen Try training log zone. 
I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey, we all make mistakes. Come on, dudes, let's go exercise. Exercise! Yeah! I'm gonna do sit-ups till I poop myself. All right, we are gonna talk about a couple of cycling tricks. Um, both I've applied using Zwift, the online biking video game, but I think they could easily be applied in the uh, real world. These are some observations I've made very recently I thought I would share. One was I was on slowtwitch.com, the forums, the triathlon forum, the uh, as I described to somebody recently, like the most advanced high-end triathlon. It's full of pros and scientists and skeptics and if it doesn't pass the uh, slow twitch smell test then uh, you get eaten alive on there it's pretty crazy but anyway um somebody asked they were sort of new to triathlon and they realized that their cadence was really low sorry i had a little null sound there their cadence was really low and like averaging in the high 60s and uh, what can they do about that? Well, there's two things. Uh, one is do something about it. The other one is also make sure that uh, your bike computer, as it's recording your cadence, is recording it while um, you're pedaling. If your cadence is uh, being recorded while you're coasting and you got a lot of, you're riding outdoors with lots of coasting down hills, well, that puts, that averages in a bunch of zeros, which is not uh, useful. And, then the other thing is um, to fix it uh, you need to do high cadence drills quote unquote uh, the question is is uh, how do you get those fit those in because they're annoying and they're not fun you know not as fun as biking <laughs> and what's a good way to uh, get them in and I figured out a way because I started doing it kind of by accident and I'm always playing around with stuff to see what works and what doesn't work. And I was like, holy cow, this is uh, really interesting. I ought to share this. And I told them on the forum this exact thing. Uh, when you're out riding, or let's say you're riding Zwift and you're going downhill, put it in a easy, very easy gear for the conditions for going downhill and spin fast, high RPM. What's interesting is what's going on is you're able to go really fast, um, high RPM, because there isn't much resistance, because you're going downhill. And if you do this, uh, everything you do is a habit and a choice. So deciding, you're, you're doing something when going downhill. In Zen, we talk about uh, what is your practice? Have you been practicing Zen? And the question is no. And, and well, you've been practicing something. You've been practicing watching TV. You've been practicing uh, driving too much to work. You've been practicing uh, too much time on the internet. You've been practicing too much Facebook. Um, if you're not practicing riding your bike, if you're not practicing meditation, you know, you've been practicing something. So when you're going downhill, um, you're practicing coasting probably well change that practice to practicing um high cadence and you're like oh i don't want to do that man 
you should because the payoff is huge. And like I said, you're not pushing against much at all, if anything. And it doesn't take much. So your, your new practice habit is to do 95 to 100 RPMs while going downhill. And in a weird way, you're still getting that downhill recovery because you're not pushing against anything. And then what happens is, is you begin, um, it, it would be like, like dealing cards. You know, the more you practice dealing cards fast, the faster you get. And then your average dealing time speed goes up without the next time you deal cards, it's a little bit faster because you're, uh, you've been practicing going faster, right? It's just a dexterity thing and it's just practice. And, oh, that's a cool car over there. The other thing, oh, so I, I started doing that and then I noticed um, all of a sudden low 80s RPM feels slow. And you're like, well, low 80s is actually not all that bad. And then I've had times where mid to high 80s feel slow because I've, um, I've been practicing 95 RPM on the downhill. So try that. And then another one is... Uh, yesterday, I had one of my best bike rides, riding Swift. I rode two hours, and the difference was I did not do what I usually do and watch my average watts. And there's this thing called chasing numbers that's a problem with us athletes, our triathletes, especially with bikes, uh, but you can get it running too, is once you start watching numbers, you start trying to uh, uh, hold them too tightly and too closely. And your ver- the vision of yourself, uh, your memory of yourself is better than the reality of yourself. <laughs> your ego of yourself is uh, faster, stronger, powerful. You, know, uh, you think you look better than you really are, than you really do. No one really cares, but you do. Because you only re- you only tend to remember the awesome things that you did, and you're like, so in my case, I'm trying to hold like 250 watts, easy 250 260 watts on you know as an average, um, and I let it kind of go up and down as I'm climbing hills and going down hills and stuff. But it's just too much, man. It was just. I'd finish a ride, just blown up and whatever. And uh, why did I settle on 250 watts? It's kind of an arbitrary number. It's kind of dumb. And uh, so what I did was I turned off my bike computer uh, and I just let Zwift run. And Zwift does not show an average while you're riding. It shows it afterwards. And I just rode... I watch my heart rate. It'll show your heart rate up there and your current power, like the past three seconds average, which is nothing. Um, It's not much of an average. And um, so it'll be like 240 and then 260 and then 250 and then 212 and then five because you're coasting downhill and then 350 while you're going uphill or whatever. But you're riding more based on how you feel instead of trying to chase a number. And I just had so much better of a workout. So try it and see if this is something that you need uh, that would be handy for you right now. And I know lots and lots of pros make comments on that. Uh, and you can see it in lots of photos if you look online at pictures of professional cyclists, um, uh, bike computers. They have the, 
they have um, a lot of stuff taped over with um, black uh, electrical tape so that they can't see their averages or their current speed or whatever. And the, the numbers they do want to see, like your heart rate, your reaction to the work is smart. But at some point, you just need to race based on how you feel and not um, worry too much about numbers. Um, when you are doing this kind of stuff and you're you're going what I'm about to try to explain is it's really important <laughs> trying to figure out how to phrase it we tend to think as humans that if we make a choice that the choice is forever right so what I'm saying is keep in mind that you're going to try whatever it is let's say it's this thing you're just going to try it and then notice it and go, wow, that really was beneficial. You don't have to stick with it forever. It's not going to work for you every time. So don't not do it because you're like thinking that if you do do it, that do do. If you do do it, that you have to do it forever. No, you could just try it once and then enjoy it and then go back to your old way of monitoring your numbers or whatever you do. You know, uh, we, we tend to think that, that, choices are permanent and that they're forever and no man like you go with the flow and you experience it and you learn it and then uh, it helps you for a while and then it uh, stops helping you like like the idea of going um every once in a while some people call it a zen bike ride and there's there's like uh, other phrases for it but where they like don't even bring a bike computer with them at all they have no idea um or they turn it all off and they just ride with no technology, right? And and it gets them back in remembering of like the beauty of of uh, why you ride a bike, man. To be outside and it's nice and it's fun, makes you feel good. And if you're so focused, you're looking at this little one inch by two inch screen. You're not um, out there for the right reason. And you're not you're missing all the all the fun stuff. So sometimes go out there and turn all that stuff off. But should you do that forever? No, not if you're competitive and you want to, you know, be in races and, and whatever. But it's nice to do it on occasion. All right, that's it. I'm about to eat some Chinese food. I have a hankering for Chinese food, and. Uh, I'm really excited about it, actually. Just going to try not to overeat. I uh, ran and one hour and bike two hours today, and I am starving. All right, that's it. Out, bang. All right, we are going to continue our little tips section. I wonder if I should just make a section of each podcast. Little tips, because I have all these little tips that don't add up to a show. I was listening to the interview, the interview with Daniel Pink, on, uh, he's published a new book. Uh, there was something about it that was pretty enlightening, but I forgot what it is now. But there's um, one thing he did say that I do remember is that not all articles should be turned into books, <laughs> right? They just don't have enough depth to make a book. And uh, I'm sure there's endless examples of that where that's gone wrong, but I can think of a TV show that shouldn't have been made uh, because they ran out of material or they just didn't do it right, which was, uh, there used to be a tweet account, a Twitter account, uh, shit my dad says. His dad just said 
really rude, whatever, kind of like Archie Bunker, kind of just terrible stuff. And uh, it was such a funny Twitter account that they decided to make it a TV show. And there's just not enough. They didn't make it with enough depth, right? Some of y'all, some of y'all might remember that. But anyway, quick little tips. I had two things happen this morning that I thought, man, this would make everybody's triathlon life a whole lot easier. The first one is put things, when you find something that you've been looking for, like it was really frustrating trying to find it, put it in the first place that you looked for it, not the last place that you looked for it. And I'll give you an example. Um, now, this this happens routinely with where's my training socks? Where's a water bottle? Where's my helmet? Where's my gloves? My running gloves? Where's my bike gloves? Where's uh, my, my running shoes with less heel in them? <laughs> where's my goggles? Right? There's all this stuff that we're always looking for. So the first thing is get your stuff organized. Hold on, I have a sip of coffee. I'm going to hold it away from the mic. Oh yeah, got a little bit of avocado oil in the coffee. Just a little, just a taste. As Vinny would say. Anyway, avocado oil has like no taste to it. And lost my train of thought. Where, oh, so you got all this stuff and uh, get your stuff organized. But anyway, so last night, I was headed off to a Boy Scout meeting and I was going, I'm in charge and I've got to have them learn some orienteering and that's basically compass work. I have three compasses and these are compasses that are kind of big and two of them have strings attached. You know, they're like two inches by three inches. One's probably four inches long. I don't know. They're, they're reasonably sized. You know, they're not tiny, tiny little pebbles and I'm looking all over for these stupid compasses. So I want you to pay attention to this. Ready? I went into the garage and looked in my backpack. My, I have a big backpacking backpack. And in the top left pocket, that's where I looked first, right? Not there. Then I went and I was like, crap, I went and looked in Kai's backpack. And then I went and looked in a box that where we keep some camping stuff. And then I uh, went to a drawer in the bedroom. I thought maybe Emily put it in there. Then I went under the sink because there's some flashlights under there. Maybe she put a compass under there. I don't know. And when Emily finds stuff, she puts it where she thinks it should go. And then I went and looked in Kai's room in his closet. And you got to remember, I'm now starting to be late for this meeting. And, well, not quite late, but I started looking early because I didn't know where it was. And then... I, where did else did I look? I went back into the garage, I think, and started looking. Oh, I just started dumping stuff out. So I made more of a mess and I didn't, uh, I still didn't find it. And then just by coincidence, Apple, Emily happened to call me about something else entirely because she wasn't home. And she goes, oh, I wonder if they're in the top left drawer of Kai's dresser. I was like, what? <laughs> Last place I would ever look, right? So then I went and looked, and boom, there they were. And I said, thanks, and uh, we talked about whatever, and then I hung up and got my butt to the scout meeting, and now we had three compasses, one for each patrol to uh, work with. And 
day, I remembered my uh, what what how the human brain works, and I do this at work. Uh, also, this is actually where I learned it the best. I took the compasses this morning and I put them in the top left pocket of my backpack because that's where I go and look for things when I think they're compass related because I used to keep them there for years, right? I did not put them back in Kai's drawer where, you know, I didn't think they should be. And this is, uh, this is also a concept at work. Let's say you have a Word document and you don't know where it is. Remember where the first place you went to go look for it on your computer's hard drive. And if it's if you find it in some stupid place that doesn't make as much sense, go and put it back in the original folder that you looked for. That's where your brain thinks it should be. And the same thing goes for your triathlon gear. When you're looking for stuff, go and you finally, finally find it, go put it where you actually look for it first. Now next is the living in an if-then world makes uh, everything so much easier. And what this means is uh, I, uh, one revolutionary thing in my life was taking a logic class in college. It's a philosophy class, but it's, but it's uh, really logic. It's under philosophy school, but it's logic. And it's basically a lot of if-then, if this, then that, da, da, da. and it changed my life um, and thinking about, oh my gosh, you can go through the world as like a formula. Do, if this happens, then do this. And, and da, da, da. So this morning, for example, I sat down. I don't have much time. And I was like, I have a problem where a lot of times my Garmin doesn't sync with my phone to upload stuff. And I was about to sit down. And I was like, well, here we go. I don't have much time to sit there and unpair it, repair it, unpair it, repair it, close the app, open the app, try to get it to see the watch so it'll finally start syncing. So as I was sitting down, I was like, if it doesn't show up in Strava when I sit down at my laptop and look, then go to work and it'll probably sync by then or uh, get it to sync then. Now is not the time to try to fight with this, right? And that's what happened. And it was nice to have that if then. And also, I had an if then where we got this one intersection right now that's real uh, iffy. <laughs> to a coin a phrase or I don't know coffee sip then uh, sometimes it's got a ton of traffic and sometimes it doesn't if it's got a ton of traffic it's actually smarter to go to take a right hand turn than try to take a left hand turn it's complicated I'm sure y'all have your own situation like this in traffic so instead of worrying about the traffic intersection. I'm at my house, like getting dressed. Why do I care about the intersection right now? There's nothing I can do about it. So, and then if I'm worrying about that, then I can't focus on making good decisions about um, what clothes to wear and stuff. Do I have a meeting today? Meeting today and all this crap. And so the if then is liberating. When I, when I get to that intersection, if that intersection is crowded, take a right. If it's not, go left <laughs> right and this is such a uh, wonderful way to go through life um, because and the way you apply it to triathlon is um, when I'm in the bike race or I'm out on my training ride 
if I have a flat tire, change the flat tire. Don't worry about the flat tire until you've had it. And you can keep applying this to, you know, <laughs> to issue after issue after issue. When I would do the ultra trail runs, um, I would carry the Vaseline lip therapy, which is a tiny little squeeze bottle, tiny, it's the size of chapstick, uh, squeeze bottle of Vaseline, basically. It's awesome. It's so smart. You get it at a gas station. I'd carry that on me. And then if I, if I start getting a blister, apply it to the hotspot. No other if, ands, or buts. But until I start getting a blister, don't worry about it. It's not a problem. And uh, it's kind of with the Boy Scout thing of being prepared. Of if, you know, you have, you got to think ahead of time. And then from your habits. And that's partly what is good about a little bit of meditation in the morning. And thinking through your day. I just kind of visualize my day. I don't know if I really call it meditation. But I visualize my day. And I bullet it out in Workflowy or in Dynalist. I bullet out my day. And then I, these are the things that I think I'm going to do today. And then you do sub-bullets. And they, they um, you can tab them over. And then collapse them and expand them and stuff. And I'm like, well, if this happens, then do this. If this happens, then do this. And this happens, and then do this. Okay. And in 10 minutes, you've kind of thought out the major parts of your day. And you've got your if-thens uh, all set up. And then after a while, you don't even need to think about them anymore. And they uh, just happen, you know. You have dental floss at home, and you have dental floss at work. If you forget to floss at home, then floss in the bathroom it worked real quick or something you know it just goes on and on like that and the liberation and the clarity and the freedom of mind and the calmness uh yesterday i saw on reddit somebody described it as they were really new to zen and they said that zen calm that cool zen chill that's what they called it i thought that was really funny that's a really good way to describe it how do you get that zen chill and it's just clarity it's, it's uh, swimming in uh, clear water versus swimming in um, murky water. When you're swimming in murky water, it's a little bit scary. You, you, you clench and hold back um, and don't extend all the way because you're not sure what you're going to bump into and you don't know if it's a snake or something slimy or a shark you know, or a snapping turtle. But if it's clear water, you can see all around you and you can swim a whole lot faster and a whole lot more, a whole lot more well, a whole lot better than, um, than before because you know that there's no obstacles right around you or anything gross or dangerous uh, that you're about to hit. And the thing that is gross or dangerous or that you're about to hit, the moray eel that's sticking its head out of the reef, razor sharp reef, it's actually like a hundred meters away, like over there, you know? I said meters. Wow, I think I'm really getting too much into cycling. That's it, I gotta go into work. Out, bang. All right, we are back. I have a couple of quick, cool little things. One, one's, one's technology, and the other one is defining who you are. So technology-wise, I wanted to just mention on the show that I've found something really cool. That's um, relatively a new thing that could change a lot in your life if you listen to a lot of podcasts or music is it doesn't have to be the Apple AirPods. It can be any one of these earphones that is one-sided, typically wireless with no, maybe a connecting cable, but typically no connecting cable. And the 
amazing thing that I figured out is those of us that listen to a lot of audio stuff, we're always walking around with headphones in and we see it all the time now, right? In society, we got all these people walking around with headphones in all the time. It's almost a, a joke, right? Uh, but you know how when you go ride a bike, if you listen to music or a podcast or something like that, uh, you could ride with just one headphone in. And then now with these wireless, so you can hear what's going on around you. And then now with these wireless uh, disconnected, you got a left earbud and right earbud that aren't even connected to each other. Uh, headphones. You can ride with just one earphone in like really easily. So around the house and at work, I've noticed there is a huge upside to to this style of headphone by just having uh, one in. So I can listen to the thing that I want to listen to. And I can also be aware that a coworker or a boss or a Emily, uh, Aunt Emily or a Kai uh, are saying, hey, hey, what, without having to take out my headphones and go, what? <laughs> like that, and have them repeat themselves. I can hear them the first time when they say, hey, will you take out the trash? Or, hey, how does this uh, report look? Or, hey, um, this was your timesheet was supposed to be due, you know, whatever. And I can just be like, oh, okay, you know. And it's really, really cool. And this is relatively a new uh, development in technology. And I don't think a lot of, most of us, I mean, I'm only just now figuring this out because it's only recently been available, you know, in a common, easy way. I mean, of course, you could always, you could have been going with one headphone in for years, but then the other headphone's dangling all over the place. This is way different. The fact that it's just one and it's disconnected. It's really cool. The other one is, uh, I was talking to a coworker, and we were talking about another person, a, a coworker that works like completely on the other side of the town. And I said that he was a fast runner, or he was a good runner. That's what I said. Oh, he's a good runner. And she said, "Oh, is he faster than you?" And it made me think for a minute, and. Or see as fast as you, or something like that. And I, I thought about it for a little bit, and then I said, as at my age and doing the stuff that I do, the long distance stuff, because she was really young. This girl's like uh, twenty two or something like that. And I said, um, what's fast? I have a different definition of fast, and this is really interesting that fast or of a good runner and fast to her is to young people and most people actually is how fast can you run a 5k right it's your top speed or how fast can you run a sprint how fast can you run 100 yards that's your definition of fast and that's fine and that's but the stuff that I do what I've learned what makes you a good runner is how fast is your easy pace so when you go if I told you to go jog two people to go jog at just a casual jogging pace where they can get out a full sentence you know between breaths and stuff like that you know zone two one person's a, a good runner is somebody who's is at an eight minute mile you know and a 
and uh, or a nine minute mile or whatever and then uh, not as good a runner would be somebody that does it at a 10 minute mile or 11 minute mile right something like that and uh, isn't that weird <laughs> that actually um, because then I know that that person could sustain that speed uh, for a long time because uh, they do it for because to do the long distance stuff you've got to um, uh, you know be able to do it for a long time and one of those people could actually be faster than the other over short distance because they can apply more power you know over like a hundred yards but the um, I would say probably you know the faster easy runner is going to be faster than the than the uh, slower runner over a short distance but you never know but I don't even think about that anymore what I don't even ask myself what do you run in a in a 5k you know what do you run in a one mile fun run I don't I don't care um but the um if if you want to get fast at triathlon and you want to improve look to what is your pace at an easy speed because that is what you need to improve to get better because <sighs> you can't go really hard the entire time all right uh i've got i've got something top secret i gotta attend to i'll be back in a minute out bang We are leaving the pool. You can probably hear the rain on my windshield. Got a nice little lightning storm coming through. When we uh, moved back to Texas from San Diego, that was one thing I've learned when I was gone in San Diego that you learn to miss is the uh, the lightning storms. Because in uh, Southern California, they don't really have weather so much. They have a climate, but they don't have hard storms like we do here in uh not as much lightning and thunder or tornadoes. <laughs> but anyway, I've got a really cool swim uh, tip workout for you to try. I think you might really uh, enjoy. I just got stuck in the worst lane. And it's, um, it's really, really interesting. I've been playing around with it for years. And it's kind of like my alternate to flip over to a lot of times I talk about swimming on a beep timer to kind of pick up your pace a little bit. But this is similar, but a different method. And this cleans up your form. So what I've noticed is when I start swimming, I swim uh, pretty fast the first few laps, 100, 200, 300 yards. Um, because I'm doing the timer, I know, you know, I can tell, whoa, that was a close lightning strike. I can tell that I was, uh, moving like really fast, very little effort. And, uh, and then also I've noticed, uh, a either reason or side effect is a very low stroke count. It's only taking like six, seven strokes 
to cross the pool and, and I'm faster. So what's going on here? Is it the stroke count? Is it the efficiency? It's definitely because I'm fresh, but what what is going on? Is my efficiency and stroke count low to cross the pool at a high speed because I'm fresh? Uh, and is I started kind of deducing things. Uh, because I'm fresh, my form is really good. And basically it comes down to if if this is possible, with very low effort because I'm, I'm not trying hard at the beginning. It's like my warm-up. If it's, and, and what I'm getting to is you should try this too and notice notice this. If it's happening to me, you know, it's happening to everybody, is when you first start off, um, what are you doing that makes you such a great swimmer right at the beginning without much effort? And wouldn't it be smart to replicate that for your entire swim? Because then you could be fast without much effort, and then you could bike and run a whole lot easier and faster. And one way I started trying to figure this out was pay attention. There's our Zen moment. Pay attention to how many strokes it it takes to cross the pool. Just count your strokes. I just count on one side. That's way that way it's really easy. So when I'm talking about seven strokes, we're talking about just on one side, not, not seven total. <laughs> So you would double that, it'd be like 14. But it's easy just to count seven, you know? And I just count on one side. And I count with my right arm, I push off. And uh, I go one, two, three, four. And so I noticed that in the first you know, few minutes of swimming, I'm crossing the pool. This is me personally, and it's a yard pool, so it's kind of short and everything. Uh, 25 yard pool, seven strokes on my right side. And sometimes six, I'm like, whoa. And then over time throughout my swim, I start to kind of come apart and then uh, take more strokes. Uh, but the seven strokes is not hard. It's easy at first. So what if we try to do whatever we can. What if we make the seven strokes the target, right? Every time. And if you if you start needing to take eight strokes, then then quit trying so hard. I've learned that if you actually relax and uh, hold back a little bit and chill, that and glide a little bit more, that you can actually um, uh, your stroke count will go down again. It'll go back down to uh, something. Uh, fewer strokes there's something about the harder you try you start burning more oxygen and then as you burn more oxygen in swimming oxygen is your big lim is your limiter drag is your speed reducer but oxygen is your limiter and if you start trying too hard well then you start needing more and more air and then as you struggle for air your form comes apart so if you can stay relaxed then you can keep that nice gentle form so just relax and see if you can start crossing the pool back at uh, your original stroke count. And I did this on, today's Wednesday, I did this on Monday, two days ago. And um, I finished my swim doing uh, seven strokes the entire time. And I noticed that it, it actually got easier as I did it because I was focusing on the right thing. And what this does is it focuses you on lengthening out your stroke, being calm. You're searching for what's 
the most efficient, but also what's low stress. And you shouldn't be like, what's the least amount of strokes you can possibly take across the pool? That's not a good way to swim. That's not an efficient way to swim. Uh, it's more along the lines of what's the fastest way or how many strokes did it take for you to cross the pool when you first started, when you were relaxed and you had nice form and well oxygenated, right? That is your, uh, is your goal. To try to keep that for a long time, not to see how many, how you could, you can cross the pool in one stroke if you want. You know, you can kind of drift with a breeze, stick your arm up in the air, and maybe the wind will blow you. It'll take a day, <laughs> but that's not, what, that's not what you're trying to do. Uh, you're trying to get the, across the pool efficiently. And so that was Monday. And I, uh, I just got an alarm on my, on my recorder. I was, um, swimming again today, this morning. And I noticed that because of all the work I did on Monday of that, getting that pool feel that, that, uh, the grip of the water and how, how to actually do it. I improved my technique just a tiny little bit. And I swam 50 yards more, um, in 10 seconds less over the hour. That's a tiny little incremental improvement, but it's an improvement. And it felt easier. Like I was just relaxed swimming. So it works. It's a method that actually works and it's it's entrancing. It makes the time fly by. It's one, two, three, four, you know, I think seven. Flip. One, two, three, four, da -da, flip. And then like, you'll go one, two, three, five, eight, flip. Like, what? <laughs> what did I do? That's not right. Okay, calm down. Maybe let's relax a little bit more. Okay, and on top of that, there is a trick. There's a secret that a lot of people don't know about. And also some coaches will rail against. They don't like this, but it's true is one of the keys to fast swimming over, if you're not sprinting for 50 yards, oh shoot, I need to get over, is, um, and I just did, is to not kick as much. And this is why, I read this article on this years ago, is kicking provides 10% of your forward uh, motion, uh, energy. But kicking takes like 50% of your oxygen to kick if you were kicking as hard as you were uh, pulling, right? So you're getting very poor return on your investment um, kicking across the pool. And you can tell, put a pool boy between your legs and pull across the pool and see how fast you go, right? Now get rid of the pool boy, swap it out. Now use a kickboard instead. And then kick across the pool and see how fast you go. It's a disaster <laughs> to be kicking across the pool like that. So don't kick as much. And then you'll notice that you'll have more oxygen because kicking takes a lot of, kick really hard and watch what happens. You're out of breath and you've gone almost nowhere. So the, 
the uh, the thing is, is you push off the wall, maybe not kick it all off the wall, just just enough to kind of straighten you out. You know how like a squirrel a squirrel doesn't walk on his tail, a cat doesn't walk on his tail. They um, they use their tail for balance, and that's really what you should be uh, using your kick for. It's like correction. You know, you kind of kind of go off to the side a little bit we use you use like your legs to kind of steer you back the other way and um to counter you use them to counterbalance your arms you know just a little bit it's like when you run if you're jogging and you're trying to be really efficient how hard do you pump your arms you don't your arms are not really providing forward motion they're, they're really just providing counterbalance to your legs your legs are providing the push so you really don't want to use your kick uh, so much try it try to kick a little bit less and then notice how um, much faster you are in swimming and use your legs a little bit more for balance instead now i'm not saying don't kick i'm just saying don't kick as much as you think you need to and you might be really surprised about how much more fresh you come out of the water um, having gone the same speed or faster And then also your legs are a little bit more fresher for the bike or the swim. And I've seen articles and rants where like, people need to kick more, they need more kick drills. Dude, I never do kick drills and I hardly ever kick, uh, you know, at all when I swim. And um, I was swimming a 124 pace per 100 yards. That's like a 59, 58 minute Ironman swim. So, and I'm just like, just gliding along, hardly kick at all. And watch Soon Yang and this guy, he kicks uh, a little bit, but not a lot. All right. That's cool. You don't have to be all crazy about it. All right. So I thought I'd share that little uh, swim tip. Um, I'm really digging it. But the other thing is you're, um, you'll try something for a while and think you have it all figured out. But then it'll get old. We're humans. You know, we want to try something else. So you have your, uh, you have like your different workouts kind of stashed away and do a little bit of this and then do a little bit of that a little bit of this a little bit of that for a while till it gets old you know the correct workout for you is the one uh, that improves you right now not the one that improved you a month ago (laughs) we plateau you know your body adapts and then it figures it out and then it gets as fast as it can doing that one thing and then it's like okay well that's it and then uh, you got to do something else so it's nice to have like a quiver of arrows and each type of workout each tool is like an arrow to uh use okay i'm gonna finish driving in this uh rainstorm i was gonna run tonight but it looks like maybe not it looks a little crazy outside and also i've got to pick up a flow wheel uh for kai we had a friend donate to uh, kai or me whoever wanted it a flow rear wheel like a 90 a deep dish rear wheel and then also I saw the um, Stack, S-T-A-C, that's it, that's her whole name, uh, released a, um, they have this trainer that just uses magnets to get close to your wheel and it causes resistance if you have a aluminum rim wheel. And um, it's brilliant. I just love stuff that uses science and physics to turn things on its head, makes you go, whoa, holy crap. Like not kicking as much, for example, uh, makes you faster. And um, this, uh, this, it's crazy. It's absolutely brilliant. 
Um, and uh, they've had it out for like a year or two, and now they're introducing a um, one that's actually smart. It's actually computer controlled from like if you're riding Zwift or whatever, which is really cool. So that's it. All right, out, bang. All right. I was uh, running this morning. Had a great time biking last night. Had uh, Kai on Swift. He uh, had to skip soccer practice because it was lightning and raining, so they canceled soccer practice. And I said, "Well, uh, let's." Uh, he's got some triathlons coming up, and I said, "Well, let's get you on the bike." And getting him on the trainer is a battle, and uh, we've all been through this, right? I, knowing what I know about how awesome it can be. Uh, it's easy to go, come on, you just don't, you know, right? Um, but no, you've got to show the person and, and you got to hold their hand a little bit to kind of get them to do it a few times. And then afterwards, Kai was like, that was incredible. He was riding around London and we used, uh, I have a wheel with a power tap, power meter in it. And I changed the set weight and height settings in Zwift to, to his uh, and let him ride around as me. Uh, because I don't want to buy a uh, Zwift account for him if he's not going to use it. We've been down that route <laughs> with lots of stuff. Uh, you buy stuff for somebody or somebody buys it for you or you've seen this and, and nobody uses it. Um, so I had fun with him last night doing that and then I rode the exact same course he did. And uh, then this morning sat down and figured out what, what his watts per kilogram was and all that stuff just for, just for me because it's fun. I don't really need to tell him all that much. I did do the thing where I told him that um, he uh, he almost he almost beat me, almost. It's up so close. You don't want to say like by a lot or anything like that because that makes the person want to quit. But if they're like, "Oh, I'm so close," then that keeps them going. But anyway, I was listening to a podcast this morning while I was running, and it's Talk Ultra. Uh, the screenshot of it. I don't know, the, the logo, whatever is yellow, if you're ever looking for a person running. And it's put on by a PhD in, in physiology. And it's one of the most dry podcasts you could ever listen to, but it is awesome with its uh, content and just pure science of how things work. And this guy, it, it's, it's focused on um, running, ultra endurance running. But it's totally applicable to triathlon any kind of endurance sports and he was going over the three zones and so to exercise physiologists there's only three zones and it's uh moderate and they said that's where uh you're just efficient so at that point any increase in effort has a linear increase in the amount of energy expended it makes sense and then um heavy is where you start going hard enough where your body is inefficient and to get the job done um, it has a an accelerated maybe almost it starts the, the curves the lines don't match anymore so it's not as efficient so to cover the distance faster you're having to burn if, if you want to cover the distance twice as fast you're not burning twice as much energy you're burning three times as much energy right and then there's extreme and extreme, 
uh, is very, very much borrowing against the system. And the way I would like to put that, it's not sustainable for very long at all. Like moderate, you can do like two hours, not moderate, um, heavy. Moderate, you could do 10, 20 hours, you know. Um, but uh, heavy, you can do about two hours. And he said, uh, marathon runners in the Olympics, you know, that are doing like two hours and something can uh, stay in that zone for a lot of the race, most of the race. Uh, normal people like you and me doing, you know, a good portion of an Olympic triathlon, which is two hours and change for most people, uh, would be that. And then, um, but extreme, I was kind of thinking like, what's something extreme? It's like, it's destruct, it's self-destructing. It's something that's, that the, the spiral, the flat spin, <laughs> the, the crash is imminent, like very soon. Uh, I think they said less than 30 minutes, 30 minutes or less. Um, and then worse, you know, like that, even harder you go. And, and I was thinking like, what's something that's like that? And I was thinking, um, fishtailing, when you start fishtailing a boat, like you're pulling a trailer of some sort and the, it starts getting out of control, like whipping, 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 whipping back and forth and back and forth. And, and then it oscillates. That's what I, that's, that's the thing It causes an oscillation. If you don't know what that is, um, look it up. It's where, um, it's a self reinforcing, um, wave. And the more it does it, the more, the bigger it gets and bigger and bigger and bigger and it reinforces itself. And uh, that's what happens if you're pulling a trailer that's um, not loaded correctly. You take a tiny little turn and it, when it takes the trailer behind you takes a turn, it overdoes it. And then that pushes your turn out and then back even harder. And then that turns the turn the other way even harder. And then the next thing you know, in about five, 10 seconds, you're, um, your uh, your car like rolls with the trailer and stuff. So everybody's seen this, and that's what the extreme um, effort is. But anyway, there's lots in there about oxygen and how to tell when you're at which one and stuff like that. So everybody should go check it out. It's called um, Talk Ultra. The episode is late March, and it's avoiding the mediocrity of the middle. Very very good stuff. It's pretty short. It's like thirty something minutes. All right, that's it. Out bang. All right, we are leaving the pool. I have something really interesting, swim-wise, to talk about. Um, I took Kai to the pool to swim with me the other day, and I've been asked to post a video of my swim stroke because I have a low stroke count um, to cross the pool in a decently fast time. And the combination of those two makes people really curious when I post my times. Uh, swimming continuous. Uh, what what does that actually look like? And posting the video is actually uh, both. I was both uh, happy and upset with how I looked. Um, I was a disclaimer here, and I put it on the on the video was uh, I wasn't warmed up, and so therefore I was doing too much of certain things and wobbly so I was kind of like snaking through the pool just a little bit and 
the upside is, is watching yourself do something on video is wonderful because it, it now you know how bad you really are at something and to start that it is important to start fixing it. Oh, we got a cop pulling somebody over. Uh, carbonated water. I love it. After a workout, nice and cold. Get you rehydrated. But anyway, and then I also... I was I was glad to show how much you can... How easy you have... you, How hard you don't have to go. How easy you can go and still swim fast. What's crazy is it looks like... I'm barely going anywhere, but there just happens to be somebody in the lane next to me and I almost lap them and, um, I'm barely kicking. Uh, it's, it's really wild, uh, a wild video, but also, uh, the super critic in my mind, the coach in my mind is I would work on this person. If I saw a video of that, I would say, okay, look, this is what you're doing wrong. And so when you're watching that video, uh, well, I got a whole bunch of comments like, oh man, okay, so I should start doing that and I should start doing that. And because I have windmill, one arm way up high over, and then it creates a ton of momentum as my, my right arm wind, windmills straight up overhead almost. I'm really flexible in my right shoulder joint. And then my left arm uh, doesn't. And that's actually, uh, and, and then it digs in and it gives that windmill arm um, an anchor point for which to throw itself against, like a baseball pitcher. It's exactly like a baseball pitcher. And it's a, uh, they used to try to train it out of people uh, swimming. And then they found that it's actually pretty fast, and some of the fastest some of the fastest swimmers in the world do it. Phelps uh, does it. I'm no Phelps, but the uh, to to get the momentum out of one side, which also happens to be the side that you breathe on, which makes it um, really convenient because you get that big wide opening to uh, breathe from. It all matches up. It all just happens to match up. Um, you gotta shorten up the other side. And that's what happens. So with, when you go to Instagram and you watch this video, um, oh, and also on my left side, I broke my arm and I have nerve damage in my left arm. So my left arm isn't as, I can't straighten out my left arm. So that is part of it. And, uh, but that happened much later in life. And let's see. There's something else. Uh, oh, it just I'm weak in my left arm because of that broken left arm. I haven't been able to work out my left arm as much. And it hurts if I actually pull too hard. Um, but the thing is, is man, you're, you're so slow. Your stroke turnover is slow, and you need to speed up. The thing is, is I can swim fast. I can swim really fast. I was a state uh, freestyle um, finalist. And the 50-yard freestyle, so I'm the 50 in like 20 seconds. <laughs> At high school, when I was, and I was young for high school, I was, I was 17, and I was swimming in, in uh, like 20 seconds. So I can swim fast, and I'm just not wanting to do that because it burns me up. I'm a, I'm a fast-burn athlete, so I need to be calm and like slow down for me to be able to go any kind of distance. And there's a lot of us like that. And 
I got picked out as a, that type of person early on by a coach. He goes, dude, you need to do everything you can not to go hard or else you'll, you'll blow up because you're a, you're a high energy, um, sprinter. You got too much power, but that's not sustainable. Um, so anyway, watching that video, go back and watch that video. And this is what I did today after watching that video to work on fixing that. First thing I did is to strengthen up my left arm that afternoon or the next morning, I got out a dumbbell, like a 15 pound dumbbell and started doing overhead press on the left side to strengthen up that arm. And then I leave the dumbbell by the bed or the breakfast table. Carbonated water. Um, so it's convenient, right? Now I'm going to battle with Emily. She's going to keep trying to put it away. I'm going to keep arguing with her. Like, where's my dumbbell? Right? And I get her point. A, dumb, a random dumbbell laying around the house is ugly. And those are the battles we have in life. The other one is the windmill coming up on my right side is too much and it causes me to have to snake and pull my left arm under me too much to counterbalance it. It is it is too much. It's cool looking, but it's a little bit too much. And then, um, so don't windmill quite as much. Uh, I, this morning when I was swimming, I put a little bit of a bend in my right elbow and set it in a little bit more gently. And then lo and behold, that flattened me out a little bit um, on my right side. And then, because the problem is, is on the left side, my whole arm, my left arm is not coming up out of the water enough because I'm too over-rotated to the other side. So it takes too much time to rotate to the other side. So then that means my whole left arm isn't coming out of the water enough. Now the problem with that, one arm not coming out of the water enough on either side, whatever side it is on you. And on some of us, it's both sides because we don't rotate enough. Hold on, I got to turn here. is that if you don't if you don't clear your shoulder out of the water when you do your recovery like up over your head to to uh, get your arm out in front of you that whole top of your arm and shoulder plows through the water it creates this huge surface area and drag so what you want to do is rotate enough so that your shoulder starts to clear the water a little bit and that will um, allow you to reduce the drag and swim better. And then you'll notice to do that, you got to rotate a little bit more. And so you got to be careful when you rotate, not to arch your back, not to um, pull your other side under you, not to point your other arm more down, stuff like that. <sighs> but anyway, that's how you that's how you work on fixing that kind of stuff. And. The other thing is I was working on um, cadence. I'm crossing the stroke, crossing the pool in like seven or eight strokes. And so that's like super, super efficient, but it's a little bit slow. So what the trick is, is to fix these little things and be counting your strokes to cross the pool and also be counting your cadence. Um, the way you do that is you can notice if you're picking up your cadence a little bit. So uh, seven or eight strokes to cross the pool, but then start picking up the cadence and still seven or eight strokes to cross the pool. That's good. That means 
you're going faster uh, with with uh, each crossing, um, and your stroke is actually more efficient. You're getting across the pool in less time with the same amount of strokes, and what that means is you've reduced drag. And if you get across the pool in less time with more strokes, um, you're just trying harder. You're not actually uh, you're getting a better workout, but you're not actually improving your drag. Okay, if that doesn't make sense, rewind it, listen to it, because I got to go in to W to the ERK and uh, yeah, video yourself, get somebody to video video you. And then compare yourself to somebody that's really good. Like, um, there's tons and tons and tons of videos of Ian Thorpe and Phelps and Soon Yang swimming. And those are the guys that I would really, really work on trying to be like. Check them out and video yourself and video them. And notice everything, everything that they do and that you do. And uh, just imitate them and work on that. All right, out bang. All right, we are back on the road, on the way into W2, the ERK. Some really cool stuff happened lately. Uncool stuff that I got to get onto a show and talk about. Emily tried to do a half Ironman and got hypothermia. Kai did a self-supported uh, Olympic and finished, but then injured his calf <laughs> or his heel. I mean, so uh, that's the ups and the downs. Uh, but on top of all that I found a um, one I found a really good running route and then the second is I found a podcast called hurry slowly and it's really good I don't like it that it's so overproduced and trying to be all NPR but if you get past that um, it's all about uh, doing things with quality instead of uh, speed which is a lot of what Zen and Yard of Triathlon is about. As far as Zen and Yard of Triathlon goes, um, Zen is something that you just, it's just quality. It's doing things the right way and taking the time, but not talking about that too much. And what I like to say is Zen Tri is very little to do about triathlon and even less about Zen. <laughs> that way it doesn't become the focus. It's just living life. But anyway, you got to check out this podcast. It's really cool. But the coolest thing was when uh, she's interviewing some, it was a guy and gosh, I wish I had it in front of me right now, but he was talking about that we need to look at the adverbs in life. So adverbs are the words that describe a verb. And he said, too much we're doing verbs, you know, uh, finish this, work on that, run over here, bike as a verb, um, talk, right? So all these verbs. An adverb describes how you do those verbs. It's like an adjective, but an adjective describes a noun, an adverb describes how you do a verb. So you can walk hurriedly. You can talk tersely, right? They usually have an L-Y, maybe all of them do, but at the end of them. But we don't pay attention to the adverbs in life, and that's what we ought to pay more attention to. And there's bad adverbs, like I said, tersely and hurriedly, but we ought to be looking for the 
good adverbs, calmly, right? Uh, I was about to say relaxedly, <laughs> uh, slowly, uh, with interest, uh, calmly, yeah. And uh, I'm trying to trying to think of some other ones. Horizontally, <laughs> that means take naps, and just stuff like that. And the uh, it really it really rang true with me like man that is something really cool it's another tool to put in the tool belt of uh wonderful things to remember to help you um be more uh zen and just go through life like how am i doing this thing that i'm doing right i'm driving to work am i rushing in my drive or am i driving calmly and you have choices and if you can do it more confidently but with assuredness assuredly and relaxedly then the the uh the more better off you'll be all right that's it i gotta go into uh, w to the erk and it looks like this weekend i might be able to finish getting out a podcast It'd be pretty cool all right out bang All right, homies, we're on the way to the pool. Here, my blinker blinking. And we're almost there. I have a uh, tip from Zwift. Something huge I figured out to uh, improve your longer rides. And then also, I guess for a second, let's talk about nutrition. Um, I was on slow twitch and the uh, forums and there was an AMA ask me anything by Kyle Buckingham and he just won uh, our man South Africa which was huge because he's from I guess it was in I don't know what town it was actually located in and he uh, he said that he's actually from there and it was huge to win in his hometown and um I think he's maybe a little bit older. He's in his 30s instead of in his 20s, like like mid 30s, maybe even early late 30s. But anyway, um, so people started asking questions, and and he said, "Yeah, I'm still on the low carb, high fat." And you know, I never know which one it is. Is it high fat, low carb? Is it low carb, high fat? It doesn't really matter, but it is funny, and. He was answering a few questions about that. I thought that was really cool. And um, it got me motivated to do a uh, sort of a fasted workout, at least a carb fasted workout this morning. And that is, um, woke up, put butter in my coffee, and it's real, it's Kelly Gold, which is real green butter. I'm parked. Let's do this. And... Maybe about a tablespoon of butter, I guess. About, and I have an arrow press. No, it's not an arrow press. It's an arrow latte. Anyway, it's this thing that's got. Uh, it spins really fast. It's a frother, but it's actually really small, and it's perfect for triathletes. And you can um, spin up things like if you mix in. I do salt stick capsules. So, uh, I did butter. 
and uh, salt stick capsule because if you do low carb, you need to up your salt. And let's see what else did I put in there? I think that was it. And that was coffee number one. And I sat around and meditated for a little bit. I've got instructions from my Zen teacher to meditate for at least 20 minutes in the morning, which is easy to do because I do 15 already. So I just upped it to 20 and it was nice watching thoughts go by and then letting them go without uh, grasping them. And it's different. A lot of people think that meditation is trying to not think of anything. That's actually the wrong approach. That's like trying to fight it head on. Instead, uh, the right approach, and it's actually useful in life, this is why we do the whole thing, is when a thought comes... If you realize that there's nothing you can do about it, you know, da da da, then you just actually um, don't try to not think about it. <laughs> just don't think about it. Uh, just let it slide away. Just don't put any effort into thinking about it. And then it's weird. It goes away. It's really cool. That's instead of going, don't think about that thing. And all you'll do is think about that thing. Think about your breathing. It's like, no, just um, stop thinking about that thing. And then you realize that you're thinking about your breathing again instead. Uh, not, you don't try to force it. You, it's actually passive and it works really nice. And then in your daily life, you'll stop when you have a thought um, that you can't do anything about and you're trying to work on something, you'll, be, you, you'll have practiced it. That's what they call it a meditation practice. You're like, well, that's really not a useful thought. Um, let it just slip away and I'll go back to work on my other stuff and then it works. But anyway, so I drank my coffee with butter in it and then I, um, this is pretty early in the morning, 4.30. And then I checked up on the news, checked up on coaching, da-da-da-da-da, as Elaine says. And then made another coffee to go to swimming. I drink a bunch of coffee. So I made another coffee. And in that I put, because I'm going to go swim, I put in a Hornet juice, which is a protein powder. It's got a tiny, tiny bit of carbs, but not much. And also you can, which is about 60 to 80 calories of super starch, which takes a long time to break down. It doesn't spike your blood sugar. I'm gonna take a sip of it right now. And I just sip on that slowly. And then some avocado oil. And avocado oil is super healthy for you. And in my mind, I'm kind of balancing out the uh, saturated fat from the butter. And that's where I am. I'm at the pool and I'm going to go swim. So anyway, Kyle Buckingham did... I need to keep an eye on the time. Oh, it's getting close. Kyle Buckingham uh, said, yeah, I did... Uh, low carb high fat he's been doing it for a couple of years and at first it was a struggle but uh go to slow twitch and look for the south african championships i think is what it's called and uh ask me anything by kyle buckingham and uh, he talks a little bit about it there about the number of grams of carbs and all that stuff which can get a little neurotic if you're trying that hard but yeah that's what kind of got me motivated this morning to uh, do that kind of stuff. I was like, I've got all the stuff to do that. So let's do a, um, let's do a fasted 
uh, swim. And also on top of that, let's see. Yeah, the Zwift thing. So I've had trouble when I ride long on Zwift of going too hard and then being blown out. So what I did uh, this time instead was I stopped doing something that was suspicious was leading me to to uh, be getting too exhausted and actually kind of injured in a way like my hips hurt uh, hamstrings and piriformis muscles feel like they're stretched out and torn because just working them too hard um i may have even mentioned it earlier on this particular episode because i've been recording this log for a while is i'd been running my bike computer as both a backup to zwift because and i was right because it started doing this again uh it doesn't upload your workouts uh all the time Sometimes it fails, and then you've lost your entire workout, all your numbers and metrics and stuff. So I was running Garmin, my Garmin, on the side. And then I got in the habit of watching my average power, and then we get into chasing numbers, and chasing numbers is bad stuff. So hitting the lap button every time I hit sea level on Zwift, which is the video game where you bike around, and with that trying the next every time you hit the lap button trying to um, keep up that power and that's chasing numbers you're trying to you know in your mind you've got this holy grail of a wattage you're trying to keep up and so what i did oh you end up overtraining or trying too hard and what i did instead is i ran my garmin and i put it in front of me so I could keep a track of my overall time because it it beeps every five minutes to remind me to drink. So that's really handy. See, that's the kind of stuff you want on your Garmin. <laughs> the screen flashes with a lap or uh, just a, an alert. And I um, instead used the up-down screen button. I've got a Garmin 520 um, to switch the screen. And on purpose, I have a screen that doesn't have any more watts than just your current watts it has like heart rate and watts and time your average three second average and that took away this rolling average uh for me to target all the time and then end up trying too hard and so i did that yesterday i did a one hour run with my dog which was fantastic and i need to get into that as my next little bit uh, after the swim and then and why that was just so great because there's something about it I need to describe. And then I, um, yeah, one hour run and then I did a two hour bike ride pretty much immediately afterwards. I got on the bike and started biking. And um, I just watched my heart rate and my current watts to make sure I wasn't going too hard and my heart rate to make sure I wasn't going too hard. And I did not ever look at my average watts and even though they were being recorded and I had one of my um, best rides ever. <laughs> I was coasting the downhills, working the uphills, coasting the downhills and keeping the rubber side down, which is easy to do in Zwift because you can't wreck. And I was um, 
just having a nice two-hour ride and just focusing on eating enough and drinking enough and not letting my heart rate get out of control and um, keeping watching what my watts were doing versus right now, right now in the present versus uh, all over the place. And um, it was really, really a really pleasant ride. And before this, I was not the past few long rides I've done on Zwift. I've been like, oh, God, you know, like I don't want to get on Zwift and ride for freaking two hours, three hours. It's just too much. But um, this ride, I after I settled in, I was like, this is nice. I was having a good time. I was listening. I was listening to podcasts and uh, learning about stuff and. Uh, just having a really nice ride, riding much more like I was riding outside, which is way easier to do than a um, than a uh, indoor ride for two hours on a trainer. I was I ended up riding much more like I was outside, and that's the cool thing about Zwift is you can coast on Zwift somewhat, and it won't stop your workout because if you're going downhill, your character is going downhill. And so you can coast, you can stop pedaling and he's still moving because he's going downhill. And you, so more coast time is built into your long trainer ride, which is huge because if you ride the trainer indoors, uh, every time you stop, um, your workout stops and you got or coast and, um, that's unfair. It's part of what makes riding a trainer great. But also, um, once you start doing a long bike ride indoors, it starts to eat you up. You know, when you go up to an hour, that's fine. But you start hitting two hours. That's uh, a little much. Anyway, we've got to go into the pool. I got a new swimsuit. Oh, I averaged 254 watts, I think, on the bike for two hours after a one-hour run. <laughs> that was great. I was like, yeah, buddy. And I felt good. Like, I was ready to, I was ready to uh, keep on rocking. I didn't need to go take a nap. I'm 44, you know. Anyway, I... Uh, I'm going to go swim, come back in just a second with uh, the ultimate run with your dog and why it's so great. All right, out, Bing. All right, we are leaving the pool. Man, I was struggling a little bit earlier, talking. <laughs> Didn't have much pep in my step. Feeling a whole lot better now. I uh, swam... Um, easy on purpose, trying to swim very consistently, and I was swimming a 122, um, 100, a 100 yards on a 122 interval, nonstop, that's without stopping, um, consistently the entire time, and the way I can tell is my watch beeps at a, at a 121, and every 100 yards, I was falling behind by about half a second to a second. So after an hour, that's, uh, I think it was 4,350 yards. Just short of an hour. Very nice. I noticed at first I was, well, first I was fine. And then I started to struggle a little bit. And then I felt the uh, fat burning kind of kick in. The body quit struggling. It was actually uh, really, really nice. And... Um, before and after the swim, I was listening to a podcast, uh, The Brick Sessions, which is pretty good. 
Uh, the guy's a little grumbly sometimes, but sometimes he's not. And he's uh, interviewing Alice Hector about, I think it's Challenge Roma. And Alice Hector got second. And my takeaway so far is, well, one, how much a race can be screwed up and you can still finish. But um, that's as far as logistics, like the aid stations all screwed up, everything just screwed up. And bad, like bad race planning and bad race execution on the uh, race uh, performers, uh, race companies part, not the athletes. But anyway, the uh, other thing is how (laughs) this girl is... uh, nice and kind and, and uh, bubbly and cheerful and whatever and she's a pro and you know that she's like faster than 99% of the men who are like all ultra aggressive and like so competitive take stuff so seriously and you don't have to be that way like it's you can just have fun and relax and chill focus on yourself but anyway One thing from uh, doing high fat, low carb is when you're doing either a carb fasted workout or you're just doing a lifestyle, definitely for weeks, uh, no intervals. Can't do any intervals or else you will blow yourself out. And that's a mistake I've fallen into. So I'm going to, I'm traveling this week and there's a weird thing about uh, low carb high fat I'm just going to keep interchanging those I don't know which one comes first and I don't really mind (laughs) and uh, it's actually kind of convenient because you can always find fat and um, you just need fat and veggies really so I'm going to try this week because I won't be, I'm traveling for four days um, and it's going to be inconvenient to work out. So I'm going to, I'm not going to be burning as, as many calories. So this would be a good time to um, try the high fat, low carb. And uh, because I don't need to worry so much about burning through my extra carbs. Uh, Kyle Buckingham mentioned that he got started when uh, it was an off period and he wasn't doing any training. And that got him kind of going. And then after that, he started bringing in training. But yeah, what I've noticed is, um, and what I'm going to try this time around, is no intervals. None. Just ride easy. Run easy. uh, Swim consistent. And so that's what I was doing today back to my point, was not pushing the pace, just going uh, nice and easy. And it's kind of interesting. That reveals what your um, what your sustainable pace is. If, if you're going on no carbs and um, you're holding a, a pace without straining, then that's pretty much your easy pace. That's what you can do. So I was doing a 122, which I think it's like a 57-minute Ironman swim, maybe. And the weird thing is, the pool is um, 
yeah, it's it's in a lap lane pool, but there's it's only two lanes. That's it. It's really crazy. And so I'm up against a wall, and then in the other lane is another person swimming, and he's doing butterfly sometimes with flippers. So I'm getting a surge. I'm getting thrown around a little bit. Not bad. When I first started out, it felt uh, swimming in this pool a year ago. I felt like, oh my god, this is terrible. But I've actually gotten used to it, and it's good. It's good open water swimming practice to have uh, some buffeting and getting bumped around a little bit, at least by the water. And then when you, uh, if you swim all the time in a pool with it's super calm. tranquil, peaceful, glass-like surface. <laughs> That's not what the real world's like when you actually do a triathlon and you swim open water most of the time. The, uh, the, one of the turns I did today, I came up off of a um, flip turn. So that means you're underwater you know, twice as long as usual, pushing off the wall. Came up for my first breath and then I got a wave right in my mouth because the guy next to me was doing butter. I was like, what the hell? And I look underwater next to me and the guy's doing um, butterfly with flippers on. (laughs) And I was like, oh, well. But um, you do that enough, you learn how to breathe in and not uh, get toasted. uh, If you miss a breath, you learn how to uh, recover without it ending your day. And then... Also, I tried something really cool that was fun that I want y'all to try out. Is I started breathing on the out breath. So breathe in with the mouth and then breathe out through the nose. And it was really, really cool feeling. Once I kind of got it down, it took a lap or two to kind of get the feeling and, and learn how to, how to um, release it all. But there's this thing with your vargas or vagus nerve um, that runs in your in your abdomen and along, along, in your insides and your chest. And if you stimulate that nerve, it's relaxing. It's your calming nerve. And that's a lot of times why they say, just breathe, just breathe. And there was something about breathing out through my nose... that um, was calming. It was really, really calming. And there's also a... um, Oh, and then that allows you to calm down and then swim better, just relaxed. Because water's thick, man. You can only swim so hard (laughs) before you run out of air. And air is your limiter. So if you just relax, you'll actually swim faster once you find the perfect tempo to swim relaxed and the right times to pull and right times to glide. And there's actually this really funny thing. If you Google it, look up videos of penguins. um, Why penguins can swim so fast. And what they do is they fluff up when they're above the water, say on land or on an iceberg, and their feathers get full of air, you know, just little pockets of air, little bubbles. And then when they dive, they're swimming around, and then to accelerate, to escape from a predator like a, like a leopard seal or to catch a fish to accelerate, 
to do that, um, they can squeeze their feathers down and, and also I think to launch themselves out of the water if they want to get out on an iceberg. They, um, they squeeze their feathers down and that releases the air around them that was under their feathers. And what that does is it creates this fine, thin air pocket around them. And now they don't have the resistance of water against them. They have much less. They have the, the resistance of mostly air around them instead so they can accelerate and go faster through the uh, water with um, much less resistance. So anyway, there's a theory that um, you can get this too by uh, when you breathe out, do a trickle of air out of your mouth um, with your head down and that air, constant flow of air bubbles across your chest and shoulders and uh, upper torso um, reduces resistance against uh, of your body against the water. Isn't that cool? Well, anyway. That's it. I've got to go into W to the ERK. I'm gonna make some scrambled eggs. A little bit of pico de gallo. All right, out, bang. All right, we are officially wrapping up the show got um, a couple little tips for you real quick and then a little bit of salt stick and then Ironman Texas little thoughts about all the drafting there and then uh, I think that's it now we can say goodbye okay I just left subway here's tip number one I'm leaving subway right now we're gonna be driving just for like two minutes then we're gonna pull over and it'll be nice and quiet um, a trick whenever you go to subway get a sandwich is load up on the veggies. These places, I just talked about it, about Freebirds. You can uh, tell them, like, well, Subway, everybody knows Subway. There's more Subway stores than McDonald's. You're like, yeah, I'll have a six inch this. You know, I had a turkey, guacamole. And uh, they're like, oh, okay, so um, veggies? And they're expecting you to say something like, I'll have lettuce, that cheap shit lettuce. Uh, I'll have lettuce and uh, like an, a piece of onion or something like that, right? So what you do is you don't tell them about how many veggies you're going to get because if you tell them you're going to put on a ton of veggies, they won't put on as many of the, of the things. You want to load it up on veggies because veggies are what's actually really good for you. So you go, yeah, I'll have some, uh, I'll have some spinach and they put on a decent amount of spinach, you know, and you're like, eh. and I'll some onion. And they put on a lot of onion because they think that's going to be it. <laughs> Bell pepper, cucumber. Cucumber is really good for you. Cucumber, olives, uh, salad pepper, just stuff with lots of fiber and uh, just lots of material. It's a, it's a fibrous veggies are really good for you. Okay, another. To, oh, and by the time they finish making the sandwich, it's so freaking big, they can't fold it together. <laughs> but not because of the meat, but because of the veggies. All right, part two is a trick for you. When we go swim, 
people have a real big problem with hanging out at the wall and talking, especially if you're self-coached. You're just training yourself. Just hanging out at the wall, not really uh, uh, doing anything. You're at the pool for an hour and you're spending 10 minutes, 20 minutes talking. And if you got a talker at the pool, which I can be sometimes, other people can be. I mean, I make a podcast, right? Um, this can be a problem. Because uh, they just want to talk to you the whole time that you're uh, that you're needing to swim. Okay, we are not at the place. I'm gonna turn the air conditioner in the car a little bit. It's Texas. It's a billion freaking degrees. I'm picking up Kai from swim team practice, by the way. I'll talk about that uh, either in a second or a future episode. And what was my point? Oh. You're wasting a ton of your swim time by yakking it up with other people. I noticed that when I started doing triathlon practice. Everybody's sitting at the wall. Nobody, nobody's actually swimming. You know, when I swim, I swim almost nonstop. I'll, I might stop on occasion just to get a sip of water or something like that and, and then keep going so that I don't waste time. Because I've noticed with metrics that if you're chatty, you don't swim anywhere near as much as you uh, would if you didn't stop and talk. So, uh, this morning, did I swim this morning? Yeah. This morning I went to go swim and there's a guy that I'm going to have to share lanes with and I like him, but he and I can get to talking. And those of you that are antisocial and if you like to go ride your bike for five hours by yourself, you're probably antisocial. Just saying. <sighs> those of you that are antisocial are really going to like this. I said to myself, self, um, get in on the other side of the pool of where everybody is. So this guy has his, his swim stuff on one side of the pool. He always stops on side, you know, he swims 50s and 100s and whatever's. And whenever he stops, he stops on that side of the pool. I got in on the other side of the pool. <laughs> and that's my stopping point. So guess what? Whenever I stop or I'm getting ready to start swimming, he and I can't talk to each other. He's on the other side of the pool. And you can't worry about what other people think in the world of triathlon or else you will never get your stuff done. Okay. And I'll knock out 4,000 plus yards in a swim. And then I only need to go swim three times a week because that's 12,000 yards plus. Sometimes 13,000 plus in just three swims. And that's, uh, that's close to what the pros do. And that's because I don't yak it up on the wall. Okay, we're going to talk about Salt Stick and then we are going to talk about Ironman Texas. Salt Stick, oh, and then we got show donations. It's the coolest. I got a couple uh, emails I need to read. Uh, Salt Stick is electrolytes and uh, saltstick.com is the company and they have capsules and what's so cool about capsules is you can actually break them open they're just the little capsule things you, you break them open and you can shake the uh, electrolytes out and then mix them in with your fuel because i use martin and i actually like just a little bit more uh, electrolytes than what they provide so because it's really hot here. So I put in um, one capsule per water bottle of my uh, fuel bottle of Martin. And that's what I really, really like. And they have dispensers. They're the ones with the twist dispenser so that you can get your capsules out. Uh, and people zip time to the handlebars on their bike and such. It's really, really cool. 
And salt sticks uh, approach is they're the only ones that actually measured on an athlete what what you're actually sweating out. <laughs> and that's what they put in to these. And it's uh, really, really well balanced. It's really cool stuff. I love them as a sponsor. They searched out and found me. And that means that they're a fan of us. And that means that's the best kind of sponsor that you can have. And I need to get their guy on the show, um, the president of the company, about how he started the company and came up with all this stuff. Gosh, I would love to run a company like Salt Stick, where your business is endurance sports and um, you got a whole company based around it. It's called SS Caps. And in the study, researchers took a bunch of triathletes and gave half of them SS caps and the other half just regular sports strengths. The athletes that took SS caps finished a 70.3 race in an average of 26 minutes faster than the control group. That's pretty good, eh? What's that to boots? Okay. You can get 25% off your order with a discount code. Well, actually, you go to Shop Salt Stick. Well, you don't go to Shop. You go to saltstick.com slash zendry and then there it'll ask you for a password and the password is zentry isn't that cool and then you get 25% off a whole bunch of stuff so again that's saltstick.com slash zentry and the password is zentry again it's super super simple they're trying to make it easy for you people just do it (laughs) they're trying to give you 25% off and Let's see, um, if you can't reach the website because you're out of the uh, United States, then um, there is a store locator at shopsaltstick.com and they show you where you can get salt stick in 30 countries around the world. So go check that out. All right, let's talk about Ironman Texas. Um, I quit doing Ironman Texas after the fifth time. I think I did it the first five years or something. And... Um, because it was just so hot on the run because it was in late May. And that's when it switches in, over in Texas to being just insane. And you've been training all winter, so you're not really heat acclimated yet. And you haven't had time to heat acclimate yet because it's just now got hot. And it can be cold up until that day, but it was always just insanely hot. I'm a bigger guy. Um, I'm not fat, but I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm tall. And then if, uh, unless I'm starving myself to death, I'm carrying a lot of weight around. I'm carrying 175, 185 pounds around, kind of depends. And one time 168 or something like that. But I'm carrying all this weight around and um, I overheat. So I quit doing it. But I quit doing it. And uh, the very next year, they moved it. Oh, and I, the other reason I quit doing it is I wanted to train for and do an Ultraman. And that was going to take up all my time. And I successfully did that. It was really cool. But by the time I did the Ultraman, I was burned out. I did not want to do a, uh, an Ironman for just a little while. I want to do one now. I'm just waiting for my feet to finish healing up from the plantar fasciitis, which they are. And the um, they switched the course. So the, the bike course at Ironman Texas was fantastic man i went through the countryside and through the pine forest and all this kind of stuff now it's on this toll road and uh the run is still really good but the bike course is on this uh ugly ass toll road that you ride around a whole bunch of times and um 
Oh, and they moved it back a couple weeks, so it's actually uh, a little bit cooler. It's it's uh, definitely cooler. It still can be hot. Oh, in the past two years, uh, except for this year, it's been freezing at the finish line. And I'm like, man, why did I... I should be totally doing this race. And I, Oh, and then I went and did Ironman Canada instead, which is just, you know, gorgeous. And it's in Whistler, uh, British Columbia. So I... Um, I haven't done Ironman Texas on the new bike course, but I've ridden plenty on on bike courses like that, and I can tell you exactly what's going on with this drafting. It was horrible, horrible drafting. I waited to make any kind of comment on it until all the stuff, the information came in. So there's a little bit of Ironman saying we couldn't get draft marshals out there because of um, the road situation, and they they pulled all the mopeds and motorcycles off because there was apparently some people that shouldn't have been on there. So the sheriff's department or or Iron Man or somebody said, get everybody off except for the cyclists. Well, then now there's no control and people can draft like crazy. And then the other thing is, um, well, a small part of it is you have jerks who think that drafting is, is okay and actually want to draft. And those people, I want to kill every single one of those people uh, by hitting them over the head with a bicycle. It is so rude to everybody else for you to claim that you did an Ironman whatever spot and um, you're actually drafting off of other people when other people aren't, are trying not to draft. The rule is don't draft. It's a self-test, not a bike race where you're trying to draft off of everybody. Okay, and I've gotten into it two, two or three times, at least two times with people yelling at them to stop drafting uh, that they're they're a um, you know they're causing problems, and um, and then I'm going to report them to the uh, draft marshal and yelled at the draft marshal that guy right there you know, so you can tell like I hate drafting okay, but the other thing that's really interesting what's going on on these on a really flat bike course that's wide and um, definitely uh, one that doesn't have much control over it as far as draft marshals is something really interesting. You, you ought to know the physics behind what's going on that, that nobody has any control over. Let's say I have a slope on a road and I pour water out. Does the water run down the, uh, I pour out like a gallon of water, like all of a sudden a bucket, right? Does the water run down the hill, um, evenly distributed into separate, um, the car next to me people are yelling at each other it's classy the uh do the wa- does the water run down the the pavement on the slope all in separate droplets no it starts running downhill and then it catches up with itself and creates a wave at the front like like a little lump right where it's going down and what that's doing is the, the water in front encounters the most resistance because it's got the air resistance, it's got the dry pavement and all that other stuff. The water right behind it has less resistance because the path is already being made by the water in front of it. And it's got a little bit less, the water, but on bike, it's got a lot, uh, has a little bit less uh, air resistance. It's got less friction um, if it's behind water, you know, it's the water behind and it catches up and then creates a pile. But, and then you say, well, why doesn't it keep accelerating and go past that pile? No, as soon as it tries to go past, it encounters that initial major resistance and can't go past. And then 
that creates that further uh, continues the um, the lump, the bunching, the pack, which creates the drafting. So, uh, if you have a bike course that's flat, you are almost and a lot of cyclists, you're almost always going to have drafting problems. Um, the rider, the riders in front they face the most resistance. The riders behind them, no matter how far back they are, um, have slightly less resistance. So at this, so statistically, people are putting about the same amount of power and the riders in the back will catch up to the ones in the front, but then they can't pass the ones in the front and they end up um, creating a, uh, a peloton, a, a, a bump. A draft pack and the bigger the draft once the draft pack gets started it self perpetuates and inflames and uh, keeps adding to itself a draft pack one it's like a black hole it keeps wanting to add more cyclists to it as it goes along it's really crazy and that's what you get so the way that you prevent it is um, bike courses that have the course broken up with uphills turns um, challenging sections and of course uh, more draft marshals so that's what happened at Ironman Texas you can blame the cyclists some but honestly um, you're never going to win that argument or get rid of drafting if they keep picking dra- bike courses that are um, a freaking flat toll road <laughs> it's just like okay you know but you get out on the countryside where it was before, it can be relatively flat, sort of, like these country roads and stuff, but they've got turns and, you know, a little bit of elevation gains kind of here and there. And um, you don't know where the draft marshals are because you can't see anything because of the trees and the corners. And so people kind of, you know, spread out a little bit. Anyway, that's the whole story behind Iron Man Texas and my history with it. And I'd like to do it again, actually, if it had a better bike course. There's a half Iron Man right near there that still does a whole bunch of it on the old bike horse. It's called Oil Man. It's really cool. It's not an Iron Man brand. All right, let's read. Oh, I did that whole Iron Man thing because somebody asked for it. Um, let's read emails. So you can support the best, most easy way for you to support Zentri, keep us on the air, is show donations. And on the left side, is a donation button and you can do a recurring donation like a subscription super easy it's better than um patreon you can just donate and just be done with it and then it's very low maintenance or you can do a one-time donation i got a few of those this this uh, month this episode and i'm uh, i'll read those um and then on the right hand side there's hornet juice hornet juice um is a an amino acid powder that you add to your fuel and it helps instigate fat burn it's really really cool stuff it like turns you into a diesel engine um hornet juice i came up with the slogan uh, sting the competition it comes from new zealand it's super cool so you can order that on the right hand side and um if you're an endurance athlete and your sexual partner is an endurance athlete do not take this stuff because we do not need two endurance athletes both on hornet juice um having a special time and uh, destroying their apartment or house um, with uh, not being able, not needing ever to stop for a break because they can go uh, eight hours or something like that. 
that's my that's my word of warning to you. Plus, it's super cool. You support the show. You get something from New Zealand. You get this novelty kind of cool thing, Hornet Juice, and it actually makes your training a whole lot better. And it kind of tastes cool too. I like it. It's like a grapefruit, um, a sweet grapefruit kind of flavor. It's really cool. Okay, but if you did donations, oh, and you get an email from me. I go howdy. I always start them off with howdy. It's pretty cool. That's the main uh, hello phrase in the part of Texas I'm in. All right, donations. Allison Frutos, Brett Hoyer, coolest first name in triathlon. Brandon Earman, and he did a regular donation, a one-time donation, and he said, hey, Brett, been listening to Zentri since I started my first sprint in 2016. That's not that long ago, man. Your episodes kept me motivated. I learned so much over the past couple of years. Did Austin 70.3 last October. Hell yeah, dude. That's a hard race. And just finished I Am Texas. Keep up the show. Brandon Earman. Texas A&M, class of 2011. All right. Dwayne Morin, Daniel Clemens, Derek Riddell, Fabio. uh, I always get her name backwards because that's how it comes in. Katie Joe Fabio. um, Madsen Hans Henrik. Houston Marsh up in Canada. What is up, dude? Hun Chu. Janine Kruger, and she did a uh, one-time regular donation, and she said, thank you so much for the great content. I just discovered your podcast, and I love it. Oh, man, I have some news for you guys. Um, Future episode. I'll tell you about a future episode. Uh, Jonathan Woodman, Joseph Deber, Justice Phillips. What is up, my man? How's the uh, ultra running going? And James Godak, Karen Jackson, Curtis Fawson, Michael Redogna, M. Webb. Martin Von Den Enden. He did a one-time donation, and I don't think I have what he wrote. Dang it. Pablo Cacho. That's a cool name. Peter Salzen. Rick Foster. Spiros Fetsis from... That's Greek, but he's not in Greece. I think he's uh, the Chicago area guy. Simon Wright. Satish Puna. And Tyler Moyer and William Smith. Okay. All y'all are super appreciated for um, uh, being show donors. It's super cool. I just want to wrap up with a couple other things. The um, Kai is uh, doing swim team practice. We're forcing him to be on swim team. He threw the biggest fit in the world. He didn't want to be on swim team. And I said, he wants to be a pro triathlete someday. And we're trying to talk him out. Of, we're letting him have fun. But we're like, dude, you need a backup career too. Because one injury and you're out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, your brain is your best uh, thing to make money off of. So get your degree and plan on going to college. And be on the triathlon team in college and then see what see what happens, you know. Maybe you're the next Maca. Maybe, probably not, but you never know. Um, but if you all fast, young triathletes have been on some kind of swim team and can swim. I'm not talking about Ironman where you can learn it later in life and, you know, you're only – you're swimming kind of a medium pace – this is ITU. These guys are insane, and you need to be able to swim fast. And um, we forced him to be on swim team, but it's it's only two times a week. I mean, it's barely a swim team. It's two times a week, and he's out riding his bike, and he's still in school and stuff like that. So he's in swim team practice right now. In fact, he's going to be done in two minutes or less. And uh, that's that. And then also, I don't think I mentioned it earlier in the show, I became friends with a, uh, a bona fide uh, Zen teacher. And we're going to have 
uh, he's a former, he's trying to get back into triathlon. Um, he's, he's older and, um, he's trying to get back into shape, uh, like he used to be. He used to do all these triathlons all over the place. And he said that he started listening to podcasts and he looked for ones about Zen and then he looked for ones about triathlon and Zen in the art of triathlon was the only one that did a decent job of covering both. <laughs> so the authorities are on to us and they say we're doing it right. So that's a good uh, thumbs up for everybody there. But he's, he's uh, in California and he's going to, I can see Kai right now through the fence. He's standing up. Um, I'll tell you more about that in a second, but he, uh, he's going to swing down through Texas and I'm going to get some, uh, some formal face-to-face, uh, instruction with him, which will be really cool. Um, uh, Kai on swim team. The funny thing is, is Kai is the fastest kid in his age group on the team in freestyle because his triathlon team that he's been on, that's what they focus on is freestyle almost all the time. They mix in some other strokes, but just barely. And, but he's one of the slowest kids in fly because he really can't do fly and breaststroke. Isn't that odd? He could actually do backstroke, but not uh, breaststroke as well. That's, isn't that weird? But his dad, me, and his uncle um, were both varsity um, freestylers and backstrokers. And um, his uncle was swim team captain of a college swim team. So Kai's got the genetics. I told him, and I told the people, the coaches, I said, this kid can swim freestyle really, really well. Um, uh, so, um, when he does, um, just be aware, just be aware that when you put him in, into, uh, doing other stuff like backstroke and, and uh, breaststroke and butterfly, he's nowhere near as good. <laughs> And just be patient. He'll probably catch up. And that's what we're, that's what he's here for, is to just get well-rounded and uh, to have some fun. And another thing is he was on a team that was – he was in a different swim team practice, age, uh, an age that's a little bit older than him, and he didn't like it. And it's because the whole psychology of people – everybody being way better than you is um, – makes you want to quit. I've talked about this on uh, previous episodes. Um, but you being one of the better – middle to better kids um, makes you really enjoy it. It makes you feel good about yourself. So we moved him down to the uh, to the age group that was actually his age group. And um, the, the first thing he practiced, we just took him to, to whatever age group that the coaches said. And then uh, we moved him to his an age group where he's got some boys that are his age and then young everybody everybody younger. So he's one of the faster kids. And all of a sudden, practice is great. Right, it's a psychology trick that you can play on yourself. How about that? All right, that is it for this episode of Zen and Yard of Triathlon. It's been uh, it's been great talking to you guys. Uh, stay focused out there. Oh, check out Fubo F U B O dot TV F U B O dot TV. I've been watching the tour of Italy, the Giro, and also the tour of California on it, and um. It's pretty awesome, and it might be the place for you to go and get all your um, cycling TV. and Oh, and they've got ITU triathlon on it at least, maybe more kinds of triathlon. And that might be the place for you to go and get um, your videos to watch while you're on the trainer. Okay, that's it. All right, everybody stay safe out there. Work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the
rubber side down out. 